the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. All right. Declassified, and you're listening to an all-new New Generation Declassified here exclusively on the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and every single week we go back in time and we look back at the New Generation era of the WWF. This week, going towards the later half of the New Generation timeline, again, I stopped my New Generation timeline when the raw sign goes away and the Titantron uh, debuts, which is in March of 1997. Uh, but this topic's going to cross over a little bit and go towards the summer of 1997. But I have to bring to you what I found today in one of the uh, greatest Mr. McMahon promos ever uh, gracing a television screen. Um, it comes as the uh, culmination of a feud that would uh, occur in the USWA involving WWF talent. Um, this, of course, is no stranger to the uh, WWF slash USWA Memphis uh, relationship. We've never covered it in full detail because, quite frankly, I don't know if I've got it in me to take on the task of watching all the content again, but the epic Mick Memphis saga taking part in uh, 1993 where Vince McMahon years before the Mr. McMahon character would debut in the WWF would be on USWA television, uh, taking on Jerry Lawler, but with McMahon and the WWF portraying the heels and the Memphis talent being the babyface crew. So that included Lawler included Jeff Jarrett included Brian Christopher it included all the stars of the, uh, the Memphis area taking on the WWF who heels and faces commingling you know, you had the likes of Macho Man, Owen Hart, Bret Hart, Papa Shango, Giant Gonzalez, the Bushwhackers. Uh, I, I, maybe it was Bruce Pritchard or he was Brother Love. But, you know, a lot of the agents that we know from the WWF, they were all heels. And Memphis Talent being the uh, supreme baby faces. Uh, but this one, I, I have to actually uh, creep into that 97 uh, post-New Generation era just because... This promo we're going to hear at the end of my broadcast, the end of my talking, is so incredibly great. Uh, you almost kind of scratch your head to think who it was, uh, uh, who it was done about, because it's uh, kind of funny to see how Mr. McMahon would comment on Razor Ramon, but not the Scott Hall Razor Ramon that we know and love from the New Generation era, but the fake Razor Ramon. Rick Bogner, Rick Titan, Big Titan. He would go on to uh, have a little bit of a run in the USWA post the Razor Ramon character. But after the WWF had their failed outsiders experiment, the fake Razor and the fake Diesel, uh, they sent Glenn Jacobs and Rick Bogner to the USWA shortly after the 1997 Royal Rumble. Now you'd still see them popping up here or there for a cameo more Rick Bogner than Glenn Jacobs. Uh, but this was the vehicle that was supposed to launch the career of the fake razor Ramon. 
again, AKA Rick Bogner. He would be Rick Titan when he dropped the razor Ramon moniker and uh, got rid of the purple and gold and the uh, kind of kept the accent a little bit, but still when he shed the razor Ramon persona and became Rick Titan, you know, unfortunately I think it was a little bit too little too late for uh, the late great uh, Rick Titan, who we did interview on the two man power trip ages ago. Uh, it was a great interview. It was an absolutely fantastic conversation. I'm sure it's somewhere deep, deep, deep in the archives, but I can't say enough about how nice of a guy uh, Rick Titan, Rick Bogner was. He is uh, definitely moving on from his uh, wrestling life and uh, was, was doing very well for himself when he unfortunately passed away. But as we know, with the fake diesel and the fake razor, you know, it was a failed experiment. Uh, Glenn Jacobs, with all the bumps in the road that he had to lead to the Kane character, uh, this was probably one of the bigger bumps, only because we had already seen Glenn Jacobs as the evil dentist Isaac Yankum the previous summer, debuting in a big spot against Bret Hart as the personal dentist of Jerry Lawler. But to switch him into this diesel persona was a little hard to swallow only because it was very clear who it was. And you didn't have to be a smart fan in the know reading the dirt sheets to realize who exactly was under that black dyed hair, you know, and sunglasses and black glove and gold, uh, silver and black attire that Big Daddy Cool Diesel would wear. Um, and I think that if this did not work out, uh, transitioning into Kane after Diesel, I think we would not have seen the great career that my uh, my good buddy there, the big uh, red mayor, Glenn Jacobs, would go on to have as a WWE superstar and ultimately now what he's doing for his uh, area in Knox County, Tennessee. I, I wish, I tell him all the time, I wish I could live in an area where a public servant such as uh, Glenn Jacobs was uh, serving the public because he does a lot for his area and it's uh, it's pretty amazing to see. But he was portraying the heel in the uh, upcoming storyline we're going to discuss between Razor Ramon and Big Daddy Cool Diesel. Now, they would arrive in the USWA in uh, 1997, again, after the Royal Rumble, and they would be a team. They would stay together. They would uh, kind of keep the uh, fake outsiders uh, team going for a little while. But it didn't last that long. They ended up breaking up on uh, Memphis television. And, you know, I can't say it was the most electrifying uh, breakup in the history of mankind. But nonetheless, you know, they were put together so oddly uh, in 1996 in the summer. You know, the stories have always been told about Scott Hall and Kevin Nash basically uh, being uh, accused by WCW of already leaving uh, their contracts to go back to the WWF and unintentionally kind of getting them a little bit more money and a better contract because uh, it was such a fear that as this NWO thing was taking off that these two monster stars were leaving and no, it just ended up being a real kind of uh, ace in the hole as Vince could just pretty much say to you, Hey, I created razor Ramon. I created big daddy cool diesel and it doesn't matter who's playing them. It could be the talents uh, of Scott Hall and Kevin Nash bringing them to life. But I could just stick anybody in there and uh, boom, they're an instant superstar. And it is kind of funny to see how fast Razor Ramon would rise through the ranks. You know, he debut in late 92 
uh, kind of summer 92. And then by the midpoint of 93, he's a top baby face, you know, and that storyline with the one, two, three kid was so compelling and uh, big daddy cool to debut as the, uh, you know, voiceless heavy for Shawn Michaels during the IC title years. You know, he would go on a year later to be main eventing a pay-per-view that he was just standing at ringside at the prior year at the King of the Ring. King of the Ring 93, Shawn Michaels versus Crush, Big Daddy Cool Diesel in his uh, silver bedazzled denim jacket uh, or white silvery bedazzled denim jacket uh, standing at ringside with Shawn Michaels taking on Crush. The next year, he's in the title match against Bret Hart. So these two guys that Vince McMahon brought up through uh, his ranks, you know, he basically said, I could just put anybody in that costume and they will bring the character to life. Now, the thing about Glenn Jacobs and Rick Titan is that these two guys were just a little bit younger than both Nash and Hall when they came in. And I think that's what they were trying to push is that since we have a youth movement going on in the WWF, we could just put two younger talents in these costumes and they can bring the characters to life. It just didn't happen that way. It was dreadful. It was the absolute shits outside of the first night. We saw the Razor Ramon uh, character re-debut with Jim Ross. That was basically it. You know, they did. They, they attacked Savio Vega at Mind Games in uh, September 96 on my birthday from what I remember. And the next night on Raw, they uh, they ended the show. The cliffhanger was uh, the music hits. They do a brilliant wide shot, uh, like a fade from being on the actual entryway to like a fade out into more of a crowd shot where, yes, we see Razor Ramon come down the aisle, but, you know, you could see him do the glide, but you didn't see the face. So if you were just a young kid and weren't sure what was going on, you thought Razor Ramon might be back, even though you just saw him on WCW a few hours before, he might have been back, but... Ultimately, no, it was not Razor Ramon, Scott Hall. It was Razor Ramon, Rick Bogner. And it um, it just did not go well. They would just kind of flounder. They would team together. Uh, they would be at the Survivor Series. They would be at the Royal Rumble. And then they basically lost their luster. And they were just cast off to the USWA, where a lot of talent would end up in that time frame, you know, 94, 95, 96, 97, you needed to get some more uh, work in. You went to the USWA and, and that maybe having to do with that relationship that WWF had with Jerry, the King Lawler um, could absolutely be playing a huge part into it. I don't know too many of the specifics as to why they use that more in like a developmental style territory without it being that, you know, obviously we know uh, from watching young rock, that Dwayne Johnson got a big shot in uh, the USWA uh, as Flex Cavana and uh, made his way through uh, the Memphis ranks after being on the WWF's radar and then ultimately getting the call to come up for his uh, dark match, which would change the course of wrestling history, I think. Uh, but going through the results of the USWA-WWF relationship, you know, they had sporadic kind of team-up shows whenever the WWF would come to Memphis and come to the Mid-South Coliseum, of course, a legendary uh, building for pro wrestling. You know, the uh, just the Andy Kaufman angle that was shot on Memphis TV in the uh, the early 80s, you know, all done in the Mid-South Coliseum. You just think of that building going nuts and the rafters shaking with uh, all the heat that was uh, on top of Andy Kaufman. Um, 
they had a couple crossover shows. You know, nothing crazy, nothing really, uh, you know, earth shattering in terms of um, matchups, but a, a few. I'll run down the card. This was uh, February 17th, 1996 at WWF USWA House Show at the Mid South Coliseum. Uh, opening match, the ringmaster, Steve Austin, takes on Savio Vega, defeats him in 11 minutes and 24 seconds. So here's your first crossover at this point. Brian Christopher, who's a huge star in the USWA at this point, defeats Tatanka, who is a heel, at 9 minutes and 23 seconds. It's hard to think of Brian Christopher as a babyface before he turned into Grandmaster Sexay because uh, he was always such a slimy, uh, stinky bad guy that you think that, um, you know, he would you know, normally be a heel in a WWF ring, but nope, not when he's in the USWA. Uh, Yokozuna defeats the British Bulldog in 16 minutes. Wow, that's long. Must have been a lot of stalling going on in that one. Uh, Duke the Dumpster Drossy defeats the 123 kid who was basically on his way out the door at that point. Big win for Duke. Uh, and then how about this? This has a little Memphis flavor to it. A triple threat tag team elimination match saw the team of Doug Gilbert and Tommy Rich. Obviously, there's your USWA representation. Defeat the Body Donnas, Skip and Zip, and the Godwins, Henry O and Phineas I. Uh, so there's a little bit of a heavier crossover for the USWA contingent. Uh, but the USWA heavyweight championship would be on the line in the next match as... The challenger, Ahmed Johnson, defeated the champion, Jeff Jarrett, via countout. So now let's look at this. Jeff Jarrett leaves the WWF in the uh, later part of the midsummer of 1995, comes back in December 1995, and uh, enters into a feud with Ahmed Johnson that he did not like, but at the same time is allowed to uh, be in Memphis, be in the USWA, and he is the champion at that point. So interesting. They continued the WWF feud while incorporating Jeff Jarrett as the, uh, the champion who loses via count out to Ahmed Johnson. Uh, Sean Michaels defeats Owen Hart at 11 minutes and 30 seconds. The WWF heavyweight championship was on the line in a steel cage match seeing Bret Hart meet his old rival USWA uh, <laughs> dignitary, Jerry, the King Lawler, defeats him in nine minutes and 39 seconds. And this lists the main event. It says WWF Intercontinental Championship. Gold Dust defeats Yokozuna by DQ at one minute and 30 seconds. So I don't have any context as to if this was the actual uh, order. I don't know if this was a legit closer to the show. I can't see how the steel cage match wasn't the closer. But uh, nonetheless, this lists the uh, main event being the IC title on the line, Goldust defeating Yokozuna, pulling double duty uh, in one minute and 30 seconds. Now, I can't imagine at that point Yokozuna being that large that he was uh, going on double duty. But nonetheless, it's absolutely possible. But as I look through the 1996 lineup of USWA talent, I mean, it is just riddled with and WWF stars from top to bottom. I mean, you got Jesse James, who was the roadie. Uh, you got Tracy Smothers, who would come in later on in 96 as Freddie Joe Floyd. Spellbinder was Fantasio for a very short amount of time in the WWF. Uh, you have Mabel, obviously, who uh, had, had a great run in 95 as the, uh, the king. 
But when he left in uh, the end of 95, he went to the USWA where men on a mission would basically get a restart, but Mabel would turn on uh, or King Mo would turn on Mabel. Mabel would be a baby face and he would uh, feud with a new men on a mission that also I believe turned into uh, early part of the nation of domination. So there's a lot of cool stuff that went on in the USWA that crossed over to WWF TV, but then it was also vice versa. It was guys who went from the WWF to the USWA, like a Coco Beware. Coco Beware still had a pretty good run in him in the USWA after he was long gone from the WWF and basically an indie guy at that point. You know, you go to an indie show in 1996 and your top stars are Virgil and Tito Santana and Coco Beware you know, and Greg the Hammer Valentine, those were big deals back in the day. I mean, they would pack the house for a uh, Greg Valentine, Tito Santana uh, match, or even a Virgil versus, you know, the top guy in the indie promotion. You know, people make fun of Virgil now for the joke he's become throughout the years, but I mean, Virgil was a big deal after the, uh, the WWF and even before the NWO, you know, Virgil was still a, a good draw for those indie promotions in the Northeast. I mean, I can recall in uh, Matawan, New Jersey at, uh, gosh, what was it? Holy family high school. Virgil packed the house in the main event. I think it was Virgil and Greg, the hammer Valentine. And it was a, a huge, huge house. So Never count out Virgil. That's something I learned very early in my uh, my wrestling life. You also had the Headbangers pop through the USWA in '96. Uh, different different players, uh, you know, that would cross over from the uh, the, the rosters for uh, a large amount of time. You know, you got your JCI Smoky D uh, PG13. They were on their way uh, to the '96 WWF roster. So let's move up the timeline a little bit. And get into 97 when we see the uh, the debut of the Razor and Diesel characters in the USWA uh, television arena, which or television studio. I never liked the presentation of the Memphis television. I just I thought it was way too small. It felt even tighter than the uh, the old TBS. NWA, uh, WCW shows, the World Championship Wrestling shows. I just never liked the look of the Memphis television. Uh, I know people who grew up there that absolutely live by Memphis wrestling, and they think that it was the greatest thing ever. It just seemed so outdated by this point in 96, 97, that you know, it makes ECW, uh, who even at the time was you know on a shoestring budget, it makes them look like it's Super Bowl because it is so simplified and it is so like, you know, 20 years uh, behind where it should have been that I think it takes away from a lot of the talent that you'd have there. So, you know, you're looking at an event, let's pull up a random show here from early 1997. We'll go to, uh, let's see about uh, January 15th, 1990. Let's get a TV taping. Where are you TV? Yeah, you got talent like still superstar Bill Dundee is, uh, is still performing inside that television studio. You know, you got guys like uh, Jerry Lawler, who's a WWF guy, still performing inside of that television studio. You know, but then even a King Mabel, you know, this guy was on television the year before in a top program with The Undertaker. And now he's working inside this little TV studio. It just it it didn't have that appeal, I think, that they were trying to go for the way 
you know, again, like an ECW had evolved the uh, the product. Now, in mid-97, the ECW crew would invade the USWA, and they would kind of take over for where the WWF feud had kind of stopped in early 1997. But Razor Ramon and Diesel, you know, they had basic – they basically married together in the USWA from when they debuted through the summertime – you know, including uh, the big match that was their loser leaves town match that uh, Diesel would end up losing. And that would lead to another repackaging of Glenn Jacobs. But they had the idea to push the babyface Razor Ramon and maybe trying to pick off or piggyback off of the success that Scott Hall had as a babyface Razor Ramon. This just did not work. This was just pitiful. If you watch some of the clips, I mean, they try to get with the fire here. They try to uh, really uh, portray him as this sympathetic character, but it just is not working because it seems so forced. And even though Rick Titan is, is built like a, uh, you know, a brick shit house, he is just being grossly miscast and maybe it's the razor Ramon stuff and he does drop it. It just, you can't unsee it when you see it originally and uh, I think it cost them, but you know, their matches are on YouTube. If you want to see the diesel and razor Ramon feud play out in a, a couple different matches, they're just very clunky. They're not that great. And I love uh, Glenn Jacobs to death. I have never talked to him about the time as fake diesel. We've talked about Isaac Yankum, but I've never talked to him about the time as fake diesel, but it is, it is amazing what he did with his career post that repackaging as diesel because it was a death blow uh for i think 90 percent of the people that would have portrayed uh the diesel but it brings us to the promo i want to play at the end of this episode after i sign off i will let you in on this about three minute clip it is a promo done by the chairman vince mcmahon it is done on this amazing just plain black backdrop where he's in a suit and he is in full Mr. McMahon character nearly, I would say, six, seven months before the actual debut of the evil Mr. McMahon character. You know, when uh, Steve Austin knocks him off the ropes at uh, the Monday Night Raw following the Brett Screwed Brett um, video package with Jr. This is just, it's gold. I mean, he doesn't stop for three straight minutes. The facials, the expressions, the uh, the enthusiasm he has uh, behind each word. He buries the shit out of Razor Ramon and, and, and lets you in on the fact that, yeah, these are not the same original guys, but I am not letting this uh, get in the way of how much I think this guy sucks. And it's, uh, it's a great piece it could be one of vince's best individual promos we've ever seen it lo almost looks like when you watch it and i'll drop it in the uh the twitter post into this episode it looks like a madman speaking in a black room you know to uh the, just the camera and i would love to know how many takes this took because it's brilliant and uh if you've never seen it i can tell you right now i didn't see it till about six hours ago so I'm right there with you and experiencing it for the first time. Again, Mick Memphis going back to 93 is an epic tale. And I wish I had more time to plan it out because it would need to be a multiple episode arc. And I would need like the right team working with me. And 
Look, I hate to say it. Sometimes the Chester doesn't have it in him to uh, put in that much work as it relates to the time invested for each show. But this one, I feel like when I find something like this, I have to bring it to the listeners because if I think it's good, I think nine times out of 10, you're going to think it's good as well. So that's why we've got this to uh, look forward to today. And again, you know, the USWA relationship with the WWF was very strong. Um, when Razor and Diesel got there again, I don't want to go too crazy into it because it crosses my border, my jurisdiction, if you will. Um, but it's just so awesome to see that these two offshoot characters, these cast off ideas that he had, it was almost lazy to say, Hey, I'm just going to recast or reprogram the fans minds to say, Hey, that's not Razor Ramon. That's not Diesel. This is Razor Ramon. This is Diesel. What if those the fake Diesel and the fake Razor went on to have longer runs as those characters than Scott Hall and Kevin Nash? Then what are we going to say? You know, and obviously that didn't happen. And we see all this amazing Razor Ramon merchandise still hitting the uh, the shelves. The uh, the action figures of Razor Ramon are some of the best that they can make because they try to incorporate all the different colors and the designs that he had for his attire. You know, some of the cool uh, debut clothes that he had the very uh cuban style outfits that he wore in the uh the the vignettes they had for the debut of razor ramon like they're making action figures of this now so the razor ramon character absolutely transcended i think any thoughts that vince had in his mind bringing a fake razor back and diesel you know look i gotta give the devil his due you know i had the uh episode air last week that was about kevin nash We've done three or four episodes about Kevin Nash, but the click this podcast with Kevin Nash and Sean Oliver is going to be probably the best representation of the new generation we could have in a podcast form. You know, we can obviously see anything that Bruce Pritchard and Conrad did um, about a specific character or a specific show or a great clue into the history of that era. But this is a guy who was the world champion and the man behind the era who was, uh, you know, in the driver's seat for so long and was there for the lean times in the start of 93 and then to leave at when he did in 96 and then change the business. Uh, I think that your best new generation guide, although I would wish it would be this show is definitely the, uh, the click this podcast with Kevin Ash. So check it out. Absolutely if you can, and I will uh, be here waiting for you when we're all done. So let's get to the wrap up here. And uh, again, you listen to a new generation declassified episode on the TMPT empire. Go and check out the entire archive. If you can uh, find some old new generation declassified content, find Coliseum Chad in there. And uh, you might find some old episodes that my voice is still on somewhere, but you can definitely uh, consume this new generation content uh, whenever you want. And uh, please shoot me any ideas that you have for shows. I'm always receptive to listening. Uh, I have a fun one planned for next week with uh, somebody that's been on the show maybe too many times, but when he wears out his welcome, we'll hear it, but he'll be back uh, next week. If you want to follow me, it is at Chad EMB on Twitter. It's at IB exclusives on Instagram. My website is IB exclusives.com. This website is TMPT rest or TMPT empire.com. And uh, I, of course, always thank you for joining me. And now let's sit back, relax, and listen to the uh, melodic tones of Vincent Kennedy McMahon as he fills you in on his hatred for Razor Ramon. 
So for Vince, Razor, Diesel, and the gang, this is the Chadster. We'll catch you on the flip side. Now here's a guy who's a complete ingrate. Everybody knows what an ingrate is. Well, no, I guess maybe everybody doesn't know what an ingrate is. You see, you have to have at least a grammar school education to know what an ingrate is. So let me put it a different way for everyone in the greater USWA area. Uh, he's a bad guy. Got it? He's no good. I'm talking about Razor Ramon. Now, this, this, this imbecile, this ingrate, Razor Ramon, he, he has nothing. He comes to me with absolutely nothing. Nothing. He says, I'm a rustler. He says, uh, I do impersonations. And I know I'm not a very good rustler, but if you'll just give me this one chance, if you'll just give me this one break, I mean, I'd do anything to be in the World Wrestling Federation. So here we take this bum. This guy's a bum. Complete bum. And we make something of him. And what does he do in return? He, he turns his back? Turns his back on the World Wrestling Federation? Okay, I might could go along with that if something better came along. the USWA there's only one thing I hate worse than an ingrate not someone who's stupid come on you think Jerry the King Lawler is your friend you think these these people around the, the Memphis area or all around the USWA you think they're friends you think they, they care about you just because you're all of a sudden you're honest Oh, and you can't take it anymore. No, Vince made me razor. I'm not really razor. I... You're right. You're nothing. You're absolutely nothing. You're worse than, than when you came to the World Wrestling Federation. You know what? We don't want you anymore. No. You want to go to the USWA? You want to stay in the USWA? You want all those imbecile fans to, you know, that, that, that really turned you on? You know, the USWA fans, you know, like, they like you, they cheer you. And that turned you on? Oh, boy, you can have it. You can have it. I'll tell you what else you can have. You can have a match with Diesel. See, I, I, I did at one time, out of the goodness of my heart, only have big plans for Razor and Diesel as a tag team. Now you've changed all that. So I'm going to send in the man. I'm going to send in the man to USWA. And by the way, you won't like him in the USWA, and more importantly, he won't like any of you. And he certainly won't like the tag team partner that turned his back. That's right, Razor and Diesel were supposed to be a huge tag team here in the World Wrestling Federation, but no, this Razor screws everything up now because he wants to be in the USWA. He likes it there. Good. Diesel is going to come in and rip your ingrateful heart right out of your body and then stomp your stupid brain further into the back of your skull. And then, Razor, you and Jerry the King Lawler and all those imbecile fans can have a wonderful, wonderful time together. Congratulations. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.